We are working on a new series. I always feel like I've got to introduce it a little bit for the first few weeks, but we've probably done enough introducing. It's called What People Want to Know About the Bible, and it's based on the questions and the, the uh, my theory that most folks in the world just want to know some basic things about the Bible. Uh, they wonder how it applies to life and don't want a whole lot of complicated, difficult doctrine stuff. They just got some basic questions. And that's what we're going to study this year is the group those into uh, kind of topics and study those topics so that we can give people an answer and so we understand them better ourselves. Uh, but the one we picked to start with first is how can we understand the Bible? A lot of people wonder about that. And we should not only be able to do it, but we ought to be able to explain it to folks. Uh, that uh, here are some basics to studying the Bible, and if we agree on these, we can study the Bible and understand it. Uh, if we don't agree on these things, then we can't. Uh, same is true of any book, uh, but the Bible especially. We need to agree on some certain standards of study, and then we can uh, understand it. So we started last week with a little introduction, and then I laid out uh, four ground rules uh, for starting to study the Bible. And these are not written, this is not holy script, they're not written down anywhere. Uh, So somebody else might give you a a fifth one or a different four or something, but I think these are four good ones. Uh, To start to study the Bible, you and whoever's studying together, or us if we're studying together, need to agree, first of all, that all Scripture is from God. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says all Scripture is God-breathed. It came from Him. Uh, that settles a whole lot of things when we understand that. Uh, you see people today that don't agree on some plain teaching and you say, uh, how can they not understand that? Well, they don't look at the Bible the same way that we do. Uh, they don't look at it that it's from God. And they may say, well, part of it's from God, and all that, but that part, I don't like that part, so that's not from God. So that's why that's number one ground rule. All Scripture is from God. makes a huge difference if we understand that. Number two, Scripture alone is our sufficient authority. There's another place where people get off. Uh, they, They say, well, I don't agree with that. Well, it's right there in the Bible. Well, my pastor or my grandmother or the head of my church or somebody said that's not what that means. Well, your pastor or your grandmother or the head of your church is not the authority. The Bible is sufficient authority. And and some people are taught that they can't understand the Bible by themselves. I mentioned that, and that's not a ground rule, but we we can figure it out. And a fellow that worked for me one time, I just remembered that we were talking about, he was asking questions about baptism, and I said, well, just read Acts 22.16. Just go home and read that one verse and come back and tell me what you think. And he said, well, okay, I'll ask my pastor about that. And I said, no, I didn't tell you to ask your pastor about that. I said, go home and read Acts 22, 16. He said, well, pastor says if you get in there studying by yourself, you you can get in trouble. You can get all confused. You can get the wrong idea about things. And, And he'll explain it to me. I said, well, we're in a heap of trouble then, because <laughs> Scripture alone is our authority, our sufficient authority. 
Thirdly, a scripture means what it means. And I know that sounds silly to say it, but whatever God intended, whatever the Holy Spirit intended that writer to convey was exactly what he intended it to convey. Not what you want it to mean, not what you need it to mean to make some doctrine work, not what you feel like it means. It means exactly what it means. And our job is to figure that out. Uh, which is number four is we want to handle Scripture correctly. As we study it, we want to get it right. We want to find out what God meant it to mean. Uh, we don't want to do it haphazardly. We want to be a workman that's approved by God. Handling Scripture correctly, cutting it straight in tent maker terms. Getting where it fits, everything fits. So... Those are the four ground rules that we talked about uh, last week and been reviewed a little bit. Uh, tonight, I think we'll do well if we get through the next little section. The, the two essential principles for unity in understanding the Bible. There's a couple of other things that are, in some way, they're just as important as the top four I gave you. But they're just a little bit different. They're, they're principles of understanding that if you don't think that way, if you don't look at the Bible that way, you're not going to agree. You're going to get confused when two or more people sit down to study the Bible. So the first one is the Old Testament scriptures are, are different from the New Testament scriptures. The Old Testament scriptures, they're true, but they're not binding today. Okay. Now, a lot of people in the religious world don't understand that. We get a lot of questions from people on Know Your Bible that say, you don't believe the Old Testament? I believe every word of the Old Testament. I believe it's all absolutely true, but I don't believe I have to do what it says. I don't believe it's binding today. And if you don't make that distinction, if you don't understand that, then you, you get all kinds of things mixed into religion that uh, get everything confused. I gave you a couple of verses there. Uh, let's look those up make sure we know them and have them handy to show folks. Romans 15, 4. Better if I get in Romans. I'm teaching you how to study the Bible. First Corinthians was not even close. Romans 15:4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. The, the things that were written in past times, the old Scriptures. They were, they were true. They're all still true. They're all good for us. They were written to teach us. We can learn a whole lot about it. In fact, without studying the Old Testament, a lot of things in the New Testament are really hard to understand. They don't make as much sense if we don't have a grounding in Old Testament history and what happened back then and all that. I think I mentioned before that I went to... Cindy and I moved around some when we first got out of college, and we went to one congregation that, as far as I could tell, had never studied the Old Testament. They just didn't cover it in classes. They didn't touch it. 
So I would say something from the Old Testament, and they'd look at me like I was talking Swahili. You know, they didn't make any connection. So I, once I figured that out, I thought, okay, we got to start having some classes on the Old Testament. So when I taught class, I'd pick an Old Testament topic or an Old Testament book. And it was like a brand new world. They just never spent any time in it. You need to know some Old Testament to really understand the, the New Testament. It's written to teach us. Uh, Colossians 2 is perhaps the, the clearest and the easiest. Or the fullest, perhaps, explanation of what's going on between the Testaments, the Old and the New. And the reason it's so clear is because a lot of what Paul wrote about, in fact, a lot of the New Testament, is about this very problem. Whether you have to pay attention to the old scriptures or not. A lot of the early Christians, all the, all the first Christians were Jews. They'd been raised studying the Old Testament. And that was a problem within of how much of it do you have to follow and how much of it don't you have to follow. So a lot of what Paul dealt with was he went off and taught Gentiles who didn't have to follow the New Testament or the Old Testament, and then the Jews would hear about it and they'd say, "Whoa, you're not teaching them Bible. You're not teaching them what God wants." And Paul had to say, "Yes, I am. I'm teaching them what God wants now. What you're worrying about is what God wanted back then." So in Colossians, he explains that in great detail, and you could read the whole thing to get more of it, more of it, but let's start at verse 17, or 13, in chapter 2. He says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away. Nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Okay. So he says he took the written regulations, the, the old law, the law of Moses, all of that. He, he took that and he took it out of the way. He nailed it to the cross. It was against us. Paul talks other places about the Old Testament was a burden, a heavy burden to bear, to follow all of the rules and regulations. So Paul says he take, took that away. He nailed it to the cross. Now, some people that still want to follow some of the New Old Testament say, well, he's just talking about the ceremonial part. He's just talking about the in, offering of sacrifices and all that. But all the rest of it we still got to do. We still got to keep the Sabbath. We still got to do this. We still got to do that. Okay. In case you think that, you just hadn't read far enough. Okay. So when we ask that question on TV, we always go ahead and read the next few verses. And Paul says in 16, therefore, okay, because he nailed it to the cross, because it's out of here, it's not in effect anymore, therefore, don't let anybody judge you. About what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So 
people that say, well, we've got to keep the Old Testament dietary laws. Paul says, don't let anybody judge you about what you eat. You don't have to keep that. Jesus nailed that to the cross. Okay? People that say, we've got to keep the Sabbath. Paul says, you don't have to keep the Sabbath. Jesus nailed that to the cross. Don't let anybody judge you about that. So he's very, very clear there about what was nailed to the cross. He gives a couple of examples, and that settles it. Now, this has always kind of flummoxed me is why people teach some of the Old Testament and think we ought to keep it. Nobody says we ought to keep all the Old Testament. You know, even the Jews don't do that. And nobody today says we ought to make sacrifices and we ought to have the, the ironic priesthood and we ought to do all this stuff. Nobody says that. But those Christians who recommend part of the Old Testament be kept, I've never understood how they get to decide what part. But they all pick their little part and say, well, we've got to do this. Well, Paul said, no, it's all nailed to the cross. It's gone. But they still pick their part and say, we've got to keep the Sabbath, or we've got to keep this dietary law, or we've got to keep this or that. Or uh, You don't get to choose. It's either in effect or it isn't. Okay? Now, the most problem people have with this, the most nervous people get, is about the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are special. In the world. And they are special. But they're special throughout the religious world. They're special to people who don't even have any religion. Okay, They revere and honor the Ten Commandments. And when they hear something about, no, those aren't in effect anymore, that gets them real nervous. What do you mean? We don't have to keep the Ten Commandments? Well, technically, No. And you've got to be a little tactful in how you explain this. But it's part of the law of Moses. It's part of the written regulations. part of the old law. It was all nailed to the cross. Now, the Ten Commandments are such high moral principles that God didn't repeal them. In fact, he reiterated them in the New Testament. He repeats them in the New Testament. So he didn't do away with them. But technically... No, you don't have to keep the Ten Commandments. We're not under them. We're under the New Testament. Now, uh, the best way I know to explain that to people is to talk about a testament and a will and put it in human terms and they start to understand it a little bit. That's what a testament is. Uh, You see that, uh, the last will and testament of so-and-so. Being of sound mind, I write this last will and testament. My last will, my last testament is, here's what I want to happen after I die. Okay? A lot of you in here have written wills. Some of you have read wills. You, you know what a will is. And you know how they work. When somebody writes one, it's not in effect until that person dies. So until he dies, he can change it. He can do anything he wants. Okay? Once he dies, however, that's in effect. He might have had an earlier will. I mean, that's the first thing you do when somebody dies is you look through the papers and you find the latest copy of the will. 
the last copy of the will. You might find an old one. You might find an amended one. You might find a brand new one. And the latest one you can find is the one that's going to be in effect when that person dies. I've got wills from quite a few of my ancestors. I've got one from old Smythe Tandy, who was the first Tandy to come to America. Uh, he wrote a couple of wills, evidently. Uh, one will he wrote that was in effect when he died. Uh, he had a lot of children, and he was in his 70s, in fact, in his late 70s, and, and he had married a young woman when he was in his 70s. Okay. Well, she started having kids. Old Smythe got a little suspicious. Old Smythe thought everything might not be on the up and up there. So when he wrote his will, he wrote those children out of the will. He said, they don't get anything. Now, you can guess what he suspicioned, but he wrote them out of the will. You're not that slow. You guys are all looking at me like, what's he talking about? This is history, folks. Come on now. The History Channel here. Uh, anyhow, he wrote them out of the will. He said, these kids don't get anything. So when he died, that will came into effect. Up until then, he could have done anything he wanted. He could have given any of his children anything he wanted. But once he died, the will was in effect. Now, the things that were before that, are they false now? No, they're still true. You, you can, laws the same way. You can go back and read old laws from Kansas, and they've been replaced. Doesn't mean they're false. They were good when they were written, and you can learn a lot about them reading them. I mean, I can read Smythe's old will, and there's a lot of interesting things in there. I learn a lot. But they're not in effect. So if it's replaced by something else, the old one's not in effect. When the old law, the law of Moses, things that God had written down then, were nailed to the cross, they're still interesting, they're still true, they can still teach us a lot, we don't have to follow them. So that's maybe the best way or easiest way to explain that. But let's just kind of... Look at that in a big picture. If you don't understand that difference, it's really hard to agree in Bible study. Okay? It, we get more calls from folks about why don't we worship on Saturday? Okay? Well, if they don't recognize this difference that the Old Testament's not in effect anymore and the New Testament is in effect, and the New Testament doesn't say you got to worship on Saturday. In fact, it specifically says don't let anybody judge you about that. And if you don't understand that, you're never going to agree. So, Old Testament true, but not ruling. It's not in effect now. It's not what we're under. Okay, second principle of unity on the back page is understanding scriptural authority. What kind of authority does Scripture have? Now, we already said Scripture alone is our sufficient authority. But this is a little more technical. This is about how to read Scripture and understand what authority it has when it says something or doesn't say something. 
We call that the silence of the scriptures. What do you do if the Bible doesn't say anything about something? Is there any authority there? Well, we in the churches of Christ believe that, yes, there is authority there. If God didn't say it, didn't tell us something, he's trying to tell us something. Okay? And so we're kind of, kind of big on that. Uh, the silence of the scripture, scriptural authority. Okay, let's see what best way to understand this. Uh, it seems kind of complicated when you start talking about it in those terms, the silence of the scriptures and what authority. It's really not that complicated. Any book you pick up, any instructions you get from anybody, we know how to figure this out. Okay? It, if you make a chocolate cake, you ladies that cook, if you make a chocolate cake and I taste it and I say, you know, I want to know why you didn't put some cauliflower in this. What would be your answer? Correct answer is cauliflower is yucky. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, Pat? <laughs> Wednesday night joke. Anyhow, <laughs> the reason you don't put cauliflower in is because the recipe doesn't call for it. Okay, The recipe says, here's what you put in a chocolate cake. Okay? And nobody would think of throwing something else in. Well, some people would. And within boundaries for a recipe, it's okay. You know, somebody says, well, I think a little more sugar, a little more of this, a little bit of that, I'll leave a little of that. Recipes you can do that with. But but you wouldn't think of just putting something completely unrelated in it. We understand that. Any book you read, any instructions you get, a maintenance manual for your car, a maintenance manual for something you buy. You read it, it tells you what what to do. When it tells you what to do, sometimes it gives you a little leeway. Sometimes it'll say replace this with such and such spark plug or the equivalent. Okay, So you can go and get different brands of spark plugs. You can try different things and they'll work. But sometimes it says put this in. And when it specifies something, it, it rules out everything else. Okay, Around Christmas time, I don't even remember what the toy was or the object, but... We opened it up and it needed some batteries. So I read the package and I said, Corbin, go down to Granddad's desk, top left-hand drawer where all the batteries are. Get me three AAA batteries. Okay. There were some instructions. Corbin went downstairs. He came up with three AAA batteries. Okay. Why didn't I try some AA's? It didn't say not to put AA's in. They didn't say not to put a 9 volt in. But when it said something, that excluded the others. Okay, we understand that principle. We know it. So it's not that tricky. All we got to do is apply that to the Bible. Okay, so I put down three options. Just so you think through this. If you're trying to decide whether Scripture has, the silence of Scripture has any authority, here's three things you can do. Number one, you can say, okay... If the Bible doesn't specifically forbid it, then I can do it. Okay, that's an option. Okay, the trouble is with that option that that, that way you can do anything. 
You know, that doesn't rule anything out. And that's the way some people think about the Bible. Okay. It doesn't tell me not to do it, so I can do it. Okay. Second option is, if it's not specifically authorized, then it's forbidden. If it's not mentioned in the Bible, it says you can do this, then you can't do it. Well, take that to the extreme, and you can't do hardly anything. Okay? I think that was a double negative. You can do hardly anything. How do we get the authority to build this building? The Bible doesn't mention a church building. Okay, so if we follow an option two, we can't build a church building. Okay, so you see, both of those get you locked into where, well, you can't rule anything out or you can't rule anything in. So there's got to be a middle ground, a reasonable command understanding, which is what I tried to write in option three. And what I said there is any command authorizes only what it authorizes. And it has some exclusionary force. And that may sound kind of technical, but it's not that bad. It authorizes what it authorizes. When I told Corbin to go get three AAA batteries, I, I specified that's what I authorized, and I excluded everything else. Okay, if I'd have told him, go downstairs and get me three batteries. Okay, that would have authorized three batteries and excluded anything else. I don't want an extension cord. I don't want a screwdriver. I don't want this or that. I want batteries. Okay. So you, all you got to do is think through that. And if I had just said three batteries, he would have been perfectly all right to bring me three AA, three A's, three D's, three whatever. But my command authorized what it authorized and excluded Something else. Okay. Now, that's not that hard to understand. We're, we're authorized to do what the New Testament says, since we're not under the Old Testament anymore, and excludes what it doesn't say. Now, we're not going to talk about uh, instrumental music tonight. We'll study that some other time. But it applies to this. Falls under this principle. Got a question just the other day on Know Your Bible. Somebody called it in. And the way the question was worded was this. What scripture backs the Church of Christ position not to use instrumental music? You understand what she was asking for? You show me a scripture that says... You're not supposed to use instrumental music. Okay, can I do that? Nope, no scripture says that. Okay. But the problem is that's the wrong question. Okay. That's the way some people think about the Bible. That's the way some people think about this scriptural authority thing. And what they're saying is they're trying to follow either option one or option two can't do that. you got to realize that commands have some exclusionary force and authorize what they authorize. So our way of thinking is what Scripture 
authorizes instrumental music. Not show me a scripture that prohibits it, but where is one that authorizes it? And there isn't one that authorizes it. New Testament just says sing. We read that, we say, let's sing. We read that and think, I wonder if it'd be all right to play an instrument. Well, I don't know, it might, but the Bible doesn't authorize it. His command, sing, tells us one kind of music to use, and it has some exclusionary force. It excludes others. So we sing. Okay? If you go by that rule thinking, show me a scripture that says you can't do it, well, why don't you have animal sacrifices in your church? You can't show me a scripture that says not to. Why don't you burn incense? Well, some people do burn incense. Why don't you do all sorts of things that one time were acceptable? You put these two together, the Old Testament versus New Testament, and the silence of the Scriptures, and you can figure these things out. If you disagree with those principles, you don't think that way about the Bible, then you can't agree. Okay, let's hurry here. Three examples. One is famous, the other couple are semi-famous, Nadab and Abihu, Leviticus 10. That illustrate this principle of the silence of God's commands. Leviticus 10, 1 and 2. Adab's son, Nadab and Abihu, took their censers, put fire in them, and added incense, and they offered unauthorized fire before the Lord. King James says, profane fire before the Lord, contrary to his command. So fire came out from the presence of the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Now, once again, you've got to understand some Old Testament stuff. These boys were priests. They worked in the temple, the tabernacle. And part of their job was to keep burn the incense in the tabernacle. And the, what they were told to do was, when they started their shift, was get their little bucket, go get some coals off of the brazen altar. That's where they got the fire. Put some incense on it and go in and burn that incense. Okay? One morning, it says, they showed up for work. They took their censers. They put fire in them. But it was the wrong fire. It was profane fire. It was unauthorized fire. We don't know where they got it. Might have got it off the campfire at home. I don't know. They might have got it from another fire close. It may have seemed easier to them for some reason. Probably the Bex explanations down in verse 8 and 9. They were probably drunk. But wherever they got it, it was the wrong fire. Okay? Now, did they get the incense burned? Yeah. Okay. Some people who deal with Scripture pragmatically say, oh, they, they got the incense burned. That's good enough. <laughs> if you, you think through the scriptural authority of the silence of God's command, what did God tell them? You take your censer, you get fire off of that brazen altar, you put incense on it, and you go in. Okay. Can you show me a verse where he said, don't get fire from any place else? Don't use any other kind of fire? No, he didn't do that. He just said, here's where you get the fire. 
what they did was decide, "Eh, as long as I get fire, it'll be all right. So they went and got some fire somewhere, put it in the altar. Now, was God concerned about that? I think you could say so. I think God was concerned. He sent fire from heaven and killed them. Yeah. Now, do you think the other gang on duty that morning thought through the silence of the scriptures theology a little bit? <laughs> Whoa, hold it here. God said, get that fire. I think he meant, get that fire. Okay. Pretty good example, famous example. Now, the other two, uh, we'll just talk our way through those. You can read them when you get home. In Numbers 20, Moses was told by God, said, do you go, go to the stone that we want water out of. You can take your rod along with you, but you speak to it. You tell the stone to give you water. I'll make the stone give you water. Moses was used to using his rod for showman purposes or whatever. God had had him use it before. So for some reason, Moses spoke and struck the rock. Okay. Was God concerned about that? Seemed pretty little deal to us. Okay. The silence of God's command. He didn't tell him not to use the rod. But when he used it, he said, whoa, you're not going to the promised land. Seems like God was a little serious about that. Okay. Third one is Saul. Uh, the prophet told Saul to go down to a certain place and wait for seven days until he got there to tell him what to do. Okay, Saul went there. He waited seven days. We don't know how much longer or if he waited exactly seven days or what. But he didn't see Samuel coming. So he said, well, I'll do this. I can handle this. I know Samuel told me to wait for his instructions, but it's been seven days, so I can handle it. I'm the king. I can do what I want. So he did it. Samuel got there. He said, what's going on? I told you to wait till I got here. So I'll say, yeah, but I got it handled. Samuel said, yeah, you got it handled, but you're not king anymore. God's serious about this. When God tells you to do something, that authorizes what it authorizes, and it excludes anything else. Okay? So read those three in detail, and there's plenty more in the Old and New Testament that teaches God's concept on this. Okay, fairly simple. We do it in every other part of life. We understand it. All we got to do is apply the same thing to the Scriptures and take God's Word Seriously, and we can not only understand it, we can agree as we understand it. All right, next week we'll work through how to read in any scripture and figure it out pretty quickly. So we'll wrap up this topic. If you're here this evening and need to respond to the Lord's invitation, we'd love to help you with that. Kind of sing a song of invitation and invite you to come while we stand. Let's stand and sing.